0: This episode is sponsored by The Perfect Three Collagen. Collagen is the most abundant form of protein in our bodies. And like many things, it starts to decline as we age. If you're noticing low energy, cravings, joint pain, or dull skin and hair, you'll want to check out their collagen creamer. Add us a coffee, tea, or milk to enjoy high-quality collagen and brain-boosting superfoods on a daily basis. Check them out at theperfect3.com or visit the link in our show notes and get 10% off your first order.
1: Welcome to Hot Flashes and Cold Topics podcast, the voice for women in midlife and beyond. At Hot Flashes and Cold Topics, we talk about anything and everything to do with midlife. My name is Bridget. And I'm Colleen. And today we are very excited to have the actress Linda Pearl on. Woo-hoo. Yeah, oh, you know you've probably know Linda Pearl for two different roles that she played on Happy Days. When Happy Days began, she played Richie's girlfriend, but was a different character. And then later came back and was Fonzie's big time girlfriend in the later years of Happy Days. So two different characters on the same show. Um, You also know her from The Office. I mean, there's so many things that she has been She has been consistently working. Working just since the 70s. And just great things to say about different, you know, the designated survivor. Which I loved, yeah. I kind of
0: fangirled out on that one.
1: I know, you know, just so many shows. I fangirled over the... She played Pam's mother on The Office. And I mean, those scenes... Where you know Michael was with her and all of that stuff and then sees her again later, <laughs> you know, after Pam has her baby, it's just hilarious. And so we have some interesting conversations with her about working on those shows. She's also a great singer. And yes. I had no idea. She's a really great jazz singer and does shows. So you'll have to check out her website, Linda Pearl P-U-R-L com and check out all the things she's doing you're going to hear about her uh, relationship with patrick duffy just kind of a great and who would patrick duffy be bridget oh wow well he would be bobby on dallas <laughs> <laughs> and you know you're going to hear a lot about that how they're working on duffy's dough and you're going to hear the story behind duffy's dough and you can order yourself some of that great sourdough starter we were thrilled to talk to her and colleen what's been going on Oh, well, I just redid
0: my taping room. So guys, if I sound better, it's because I have a lot of foam around me right now. (laughs) But, you know, I love doing these catching up series because I just I love how busy all these women are. You know, you may remember somebody from a movie in the 80s or you may remember somebody from early 2000 television, but they have been consistently working and expanding. And for many of the women starting businesses and getting to choose which path they take, which roles they take. And they love talking about this stage of life. So I get such a kick out of, I mean, the fact that we even get to talk to them. You know, I love
1: it. Love to learn that they are just regular everyday people. Yes, who went
0: through menopause, who have gone through, you know, divorces and, and kids and all that fun stuff. I mean, we can relate to them so much yes. at this stage yes. of life. So we're going to get started with this interview. But remember, guys, if you want any links from the show notes, just go to hotflashescooltopics.com. And we have the show notes with links available for you for every episode. We have over 200 episodes. So whether it's an expert or, and physician that you want to get links and contact, or it's, you know, a celebrity that is doing something new and you want to check that out as well. We'll have it in the show notes. Enjoy the interview and we will talk to you after.
1: Welcome back to Hot Flashes and Cold Topics, everybody. We have on a really great guest today. You probably know her from Happy Days and from Matlock and The Office as the really, really hot mom, Pam's mom. (laughs) Um, So let's welcome Linda Pearl today.
2: Welcome. Thanks for having me. Nice to be with you.
0: So I guess my
1: first question
0: was this jazz singing, you're amazing. I wasn't familiar with the fact that you were jazz singer. How did that, has that always been kind of a constant with
2: acting, or did that come up later? It has. It has. And uh, not jazz so much, but, yeah, as a kid, you know, growing up, I, I did musicals, and then I grew up in Japan, and I re- ended up recording there. I had a recording contract there for a few years. And then, you know, in New York, I hmm, guess I didn't sing when I first got to New York. Then when I moved to L.A., it was just all TV, occasionally a small straight play, but no music. And I just, there's a part of me inside that was just missing it. I really, I just ached for it. And <clears throat> mentioned this to some friend who ran a, a club, sort of a nightclub-y kind of place. He said, oh, I'm going to hook you up. And he did, with a wonderful gentleman, two gentlemen, that had become lifelong friends, David Galligan, director, and Ron Abel, a music director extraordinaire and... um And this club owner, Tommy Rola, long gone now, who owned a swell club in Hollywood called the Gardenia, said, you have to build a cabaret act. It was like, oh no, it was just a terrifying, thrilling, but really scary. I mean, I'd done musicals, I'd recorded, but I'd never done a cabaret act. Anyway, David held my hand, helped me build the show, Ron helped me choose the music. And then we did the show, uh, you know, in LA. And it was such a it was truly I mean I think about the feeling in you know backstage before I stepped out it was pure acid adrenaline it was just terrifying but I lived through it and thanks to the boys and that became a partnership of like 20 years and the the thing one of the many things that you know, I discovered about it was that unlike acting, where you're kind of sitting around and waiting for the phone to ring, it wasn't, that's not the case in the world of cabaret. You can get your people together, build your show, and then just call clubs and say, Would you, do you have a free night? Can we come in? So it's not a winning proposition financially, but in artistically, it absolutely was. And I tend to be the kind of person that just kind of lays around unless I have a goal. You know, if I throw my my fishing lines out into the future, it's like, okay, I can't have that whole pie tonight because I have to fit into the dress next week or, (laughs) you know, I have to get my roots done or I have to, whatever it is, I've got to do my little sit ups or memorize the lyrics. And so it became sort of an appointment with the future and an appointment with discipline and of course just the most wonderful people and so that carried on we did a couple CDs and 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 then i it was the era of aids you know back then and so i was invited to do a whole be a ser- do a whole bunch of aids benefits which um which were meaningful and with a spectacular community and also, uh, I now looking back, I realized it was a real apprenticeship because you do the group number at the beginning, the group number at the end, and then somewhere in the middle, you do your three to five minute song which was like being shot out of a cannon because it doesn't matter if you're stepping on stage for an hour three hours or one number. It's the same preparation. It's the same energy level. The only difference with doing one song at a time is that if you blow it, there's no chance to redeem yourself. So it's, ah, you know, it's... (laughs) And then about 14 years ago, 15 years ago, I was, so Ron Abel, my first music director, was very Broadway, very show tune, very high energy kind of uh, feel to it, and which I love, but I'd also always had a hankering towards jazz. That was what the sound table of my, the soundtrack of my childhood. So I was invited to do this show in New York and concert thing they said you can't use your own music director it's like what what do you mean so you have to use this guy Ted it's like okay I wanted the gig so I took it and we walked in here's this young man who could be my son and uh he started to play the piano and my head spun I mean that was it he's a musical genius he works with a lot of people Ted Firth and we've been together ever since musically we've done three or four cds we're going to record another one in january and he's it's impossible to explain what he does but i learn every time i work with him uh he's a beautiful talent and has enhanced my musical journey exponentially
0: one of the roles that you've taken that people really remember is being the girlfriend of Fonzie or his fiance, but mm-hmm. you were friends with Donnie most. That's how you got on to happy days. Is that correct? Did you tell that
2: story? Donnie and I met when we were, I think we're the same age, 16 in New York doing a commercial together just, and became, he's a lifelong friend, just one of the sweetest human beings ever. And, Donnie was one of the first to say, okay, I'm going west, and he did. And my girlfriend and I followed maybe a year later. So Donnie said, okay, here's what you have to get, a driver's license, and you know, here's an apartment complex that would be good for you girls. And so he really kind of husbanded our trip out there, giving us the how-to, make it happen. And then, yeah, Donnie got cast in Happy Days early on. And he called, I was going to say email, but of course that didn't exist back then (laughs) and said, I think there's a role here that might be right for you. And anyway, I went in and I got the role as a recurring role as Ron Howard's girlfriend. And that was great until Fonzie was the breakout character and they didn't need supporting characters for Ron. And so I, that was, there was, had no reason, no purpose for me. So I was done Years later, I came back on the show as a different character. Uh, yeah, But I
0: thought I thought it was so funny that they were looking for a Linda Pearl type. Yeah. You you were like, <laughs> wait a second.
2: Um, uh, hello.
1: <laughs> yeah, pretty crazy. That uh, Happy Days just seems like the cast and everything. We've interviewed Anson Williams. And it just seems like they're, I don't know, just this closeness, some kind of a bond there. Yes. Yes. Yeah. It, it just, I don't know what it, they just really knew how to do it. I don't know what it is, but they, well, they did.
2: It. it was, I think there were a lot of things. I mean, they're all just fantastic people and, and love being in the game, but Gary Marshall, our producer, uh, he was, he was a breed apart. He just, he understood. He was a baseball fanatic and brought so many of those principles into our soundstage. It was teamwork, Everyone had their weight to carry and their job to do, and everyone was treated as equals and 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 valued. People's contributions were were valued, and uh, so yeah, he he kept a very uh, fun atmosphere. The other thing was that there was, you know, the the, the humor on on Happy Days, uh, I think, was kind of it was light, it was kind of silly and 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 sweet. And Jerry Paris, who directed all of the, uh, certainly the early Happy Days, he knew that you you just couldn't, that couldn't come from nothing. You had to be sitting in that atmosphere. So when you came on that set, the, people's earth weights were just dropped. And for the show to have been together for that many years, of course, most of them I was not on board, but they'd gone through big stuff, I mean, meteoric rise to fame and all the complications that that can have. People got married and divorced and family members died and kids got born and, you know, parents died. And so they went through so many rites of passage uh, together uh, that all of that, you know, but those conversations stayed elsewhere somehow. They just, well, they might get into it in the commissary or something like that, but it was there was a sweet, familial, joyful atmosphere on, on that set. Bridget loves to talk about the office, all things, the office, <laughs> everything about it. Oh. What was that experience yeah. like? Well, I was nervous going in because, uh you know, unlike happy days, I was, I was coming in very late for the first time and, uh, it was so reminiscent of, of happy days, uh, in terms of the atmosphere. And and I'd say, I mean, everyone... Well, the other thing is that every the, the the amount of talent on that show... I mean, some of the writers were the actors. The actors were the writers. And then most of them were fantastic musicians. So I, I don't think anyone had just one talent that was developed. Everybody had something other, and in many cases, other and other. And Steve... Is a really interesting guy. He's a prince of a human being. And, you know, he was so much the, the guiding force on that. And if he had been something other, uh, you know, the team would have followed. But he came to work first day of school every day, just so excited to be there, so grateful. And the other big surprise to me was that I, I assumed it would be a lot of improv. And improv terrifies me. Like, I you know <laughs> think what to say but um that was not the case it was it was there was such respect and honor to the to the writing now every once in a while if we would get to the end of a scene um they might say oh improv a little bit and we would but by that time we were kind of all on the same page in the same groove and you know it was fun but uh yeah it was a much more structured it certainly didn't look like that in the final Edit much more structured uh, uh, process than I anticipated.
1: Oh, that's, that's so surprising. Cause it certainly does look like the oh. ending, but just the whole, the whole chemistry, the whole everything with that role, I thought that you played was, was amazing. You were also a designated survivor, which I loved that show. Uh-huh. What was that
0: experience
2: like? Keeper Sutherland is just a remarkable talent. He is, yeah, he is, he is something else. He's a really interesting guy. Um, He's serious. He's so tough on himself. He runs a tight set. I mean, he was tough on the set. He would bark, but, but the crew and I came to learn that he's asking things of everyone around him, like any good general, you know, and he's three times as hard on himself. He was so prepared. He uh, his choices were really, really smart. He doesn't own a computer. He's a classicist. He left the industry for a number of years. Became a cowboy. Became a ski instructor. I mean, he's lived so many lives in one. And uh, I just and he was so helpful to me. We had a couple of scenes together, and he gave me some notes, which is kind of a no no between actors, you, you really, because then you feel like, oh my gosh, I'm being judged. I'm being watched. Notes should come from the director, the objective view. But Kiefer sort of broke that rule. And I'm so glad he did because the notes that he gave me were correct for the scene, but I have used them again and again, like any really good teacher, you know, they teach you about the topic, but also about life. And it wasn't so much about life, but it certainly was about an approach to to acting. And I just hope he continues to, to work at a dynamic rate and, and direct and, because I just, I, I can't say enough good about him. As, he's a lovely person, but also, you know, just as, a, as an actor, he's, he's remarkable.
1: Well, you know, that role was so hard that you played on there, uh, someone with early onset dementia. And you also, I remember watching this, um, Normal People, and I forgot it was you. I, because you don't, you look so different in the role. Mm. And I remember Sean Cassidy. Uh, because of course I you on I saw him in concert on, last year. <laughs> he was on your walls. So he was a, you. but, but I was like, that's Linda Pearl. It, because you just look so different. But those roles like that, where you're playing somebody with an illness or with a disability, seem so difficult to play. Are they really difficult
2: to play? we had it easy uh i think there there was a uh, a deep sense of, of responsibility because it was based on a real couple and Sean and i got to hang out with the real couple and I, i'll just brag about Sean for a minute because i for whatever reason i was cast in first before the husband was and they they mentioned to me the list of actors that they were considering for For the role. And I knew, I mean, it was a great acting gig. It was a it was a very meaty role for both characters, both the husband and the wife. So, and Sean's name was not on that list. Thank God. And then they tell me that Sean Cassidy, Sean Cassidy, was doing the Hardy Boys and out doing rock and roll camp, you know, things in white spandex. You know, Bell Bottoms was going to play the, and I thought, oh, no, it's, it'll be awful. He'll be terrible. He can't do nothing. You know, he can sing. He looks great, but, well... We had our director set up so that we could hang out with the couple. Sean and I hadn't even met, sort of just separately. We met with them so that we could just begin the journey of understanding who they were, their body language, how they spoke, all that. And so Sean and I met, me with a huge chip on my shoulder because it was Sean Cassidy not the actor I wanted, you know, and we sat down to read and in the script, his role comes up first and my jaw hit the floor. I mean, talk about judging a book by its cover. I had judged him, but not even his cover, my made up cover, you know, and it was like, oh, 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 he's really good. So it was such a, it was a gut punch because I thought I can't, you know, get off your high horse importantly, but, you know, get your act together because this guy's, this guy's, you know, down for the work. And we became lifelong friends and uh thank heavens Sean was cast in that. I can't imagine anyone doing that role better, honoring the journey as he did. And uh, yeah. Oh, that was such a good movie and such, you know, something
1: that just wasn't out there, you know, at, at the That's time, right. it just wasn't out there.
2: That's right. It wasn't it wasn't very very courageous but I stayed in touch with the family for a long while and you know then life I don't know I moved away from LA and stuff but I uh at some point I saw Roger and Virginia and we went out together and as we were leaving I'm walking with Virginia and she said you know Roger just turned 50 but it's really only five. I mean, it, oh, <laughs> they had this sense
1: of humor. Yeah, oh, that's fantastic. You're still very busy
0: and and doing a lot of. You you were just recently in General Hospital, mm-hmm. and now I think I might have heard something about making a visit over to the Bold and the Beautiful because you know somebody over
2: there. I think. <laughs>
0: yeah. um, what's yeah. it like doing soap operas versus sitcom?
2: Oh. Chalk and Cheese. I. It's a hybrid of theater and, and television. I'd done soap in New York in the seventies, but there were teleprompters then, and there aren't anymore. <laughs> uh-huh. And And uh, so, yeah. A dear friend of ours had Gregory Harrison had gone on to GH. About a year ago, and we were having dinner with him, and he said, "You will believe how it is. They give you my first day at thirty days, thirty pages of dialogue. You rehearse once quickly, and then they shoot it, and then they move on." So he said, "You, you know, you have to be." And at that point, well, still, when we're doing it now, you rehearse in a mask, you don't see the actor's face until they say action, basically. So I thought, well, you know, good for Gregory, and I thank heavens I'm not doing a soap. And then the fabulous role came up on General Hospital. It's like, yes, please. And my first day there, I didn't have 30 pages, but I had 23 pages of dialogue. (laughs) And it's funny because the cast is so sweet, and they would come by your dressing room, you know, knock on the door, say, hi, I'm so-and-so. And And they would laugh because, of course, they'd all been through it however many years or months before. And my eyes were saucer eyes going, "Ah," just, you know, saying my lines over and over again at the speed of light. Anyway, you live through it, more or less. And, uh, yeah, and then that arc... It came to an end and a really fun role i mean southern accent every time you got to do a southern accent it's fun and <laughs> my partner patrick duffy had been on bold and beautiful years ago and the producer reached out and kindly asked if he'd like to come back and, and you know bring his tagalong girlfriend as a girlfriend so was like yeah sure that's great so then patrick and i got to got to do uh, a couple of episodes and we think we don't know they're going to bring us back. We certainly hope so.
0: With Patrick Duffy, who everyone knows, Bobby Ewing from Dallas, this was a romance that kind of came on a little later in life and you both have had experiences. You've both been married before. Mm -hmm. And it happened during COVID, which makes it even more unique because really it was zooming. What was that like kind of falling in love all over again?
2: Well, it was it was surprising and organic in our case, would never have happened, I don't think, had it not been for the pandemic. So Patrick and I bumped into each other a few years ago at one of the whatever event, and somebody mentioned that Linda Gray was across the room, so I scampered across hoping to see Linda. She was not; she had gone to the powder room or something. And Patrick was there, who I'd seen uh, twenty years before when he was doing a play on the West end with Richard Thomas and this where we bumped into each other was an LA event. I was living in New York at the time and I was heading back to New York the next day and was going to see Richard. He was doing a play. We're going to have dinner, all that stuff. So anyway, Patrick and I was like, Oh my gosh, haven't seen you in all this while. I said, I'm going to see Richard. And he said, well, here's my email. We've lost touch. Please put us back in touch. So I've, you know, saw Richard, and now the three of us were in kind of a group a group chat situation, which was fun. And this was, well, a few months before the pandemic, you know, bro- broke out. And as I said, I was living in New York. Patrick was living uh, at his ranch in Oregon. And we maybe we did, you know, Happy Christmas or Happy New Year, that kind of thing. And then at some point in the spring, there was some possibility maybe he was going to come through New York. And we thought, oh, that's great. We'll be Richard and the three of us to get together, have a drink. And then the pandemic hit. And I was doing a play, March 17, 2020, walking to work. I get a text saying, come to the theater. We're closing. And within 72 hours, New York was shuttered. I mean, it was over. Finito la comedia. So I left New York, came to my home here in, in Colorado, and now what? You know, just you with the dogs and the bears kind of thing. And Patrick, same, he'd been working in Canada, retreated to his ranch in Oregon. So then we it was sort of text, isn't this weird, and I think maybe we accidentally FaceTime. It's like, oh, what do you know? There you are. <laughs> and then with nothing, uh, you know, on your calendar for a year we just we started to someone mentioned zoom so we did a zoom and that was kind of fun and but we fell into this rhythm of talking we talked every night for two to three hours for about three months and somewhere in there they you know we'd say things like well look if we're ever in LA at the same time let's have a glass or but that was but the conversation it started very sort of surfacy and kind of comparing notes on this strange time and how's your family doing all that stuff but in the quiet and in that you know the when the world had gone away our thoughts kind of organically were filtering into something deeper and that came through in our conversation and and uh, so you know we we'd read poetry and we'd listen to music and I don't know we just and then then at some point it was just suddenly it was something other It was like, Oh, Oh, this might be something else, you know, where mm-hmm. there were just these points of connection. And of course we had, I mean, our careers are very different. Patrick rose to such, you know, extraordinary um, success and, and stardom. And I'm much more, I Have my path has been for better or worse has been more of a journeyman actress and but we were in the same culture in the same years and many, many, many of the same friends and colleagues. So there was a, a real lack of translation. We didn't need to explain a lot about you know, what a big chunk, not all, but a chunk of both of our lives had been. Anyway, he courageously got in his car after three months, <laughs> or whatever it was, four months, and, and drove to Colorado, and that that was it. Ah.
1: And we're going to take a break. We'll be back in a moment. And we're back. So we're the Duffy's dough. and you That's guys what I was going to ask you about. Yeah, so I hear that there's a yeah. Duffy's dough?
2: no, and, and Yeah, and getting licensed and all that stuff. And How was it's that? Been, it's been crazy. So <laughs> Patrick's family, his mother, they had moved to Alaska briefly when Patrick was two. And Mrs. Duffy was gifted a sourdough starter by... A wife up there and ostensibly this had been handed down through the however many years it would have been then I don't know 60 years um from the gold miners more than that 67 anyway whatever Gosh. it was I'm bad at history, so and it's been kept alive in Patrick's family for 72 73 years And if we go to dinner parties, Patrick would make some cinnamon rolls and they always come back with rave reviews. And about two years ago, whenever it was, Patrick said, I should start a business. And of course, like, well, of course. So we, you know, our, our pie in the sky sort of practices model is Newman's own. If, if we actually, if this actually succeeds Uh, and we ever turn a profit which we're a long way from doing then we would want the net proceeds to go to uh, a charity probably food scarcity because we're food oriented but he went to a business friend and he said sure you're crazy to do it do it anyway and do it all online and have an all-in-one kit so I thought great what could be so hard you have a little box you put some things in it yeah it's good oh my gosh so what size is the box? What finish is the box? How does the top, do you want it a lid? Do you want it three quarters fold? Is it, I mean, I mean the question, then you need a logo, then you need a former corporation and et cetera, et cetera. Oh yeah. You need a website. You need e-commerce. What's e-commerce? Right. I don't know. <laughs> So we've the learning curve has been extraordinary, and we have the most wonderful team of smarty pants people, and they have now that we've been in it together for about a year and a half. There is no end to their patience because we call asking the stupid questions like, "What does this mean?" or how do you do that? Or the, the adventure of it has been fun to do together. We never ever possibly would have done it without Patrick because we laugh a lot and we've been hilarious over this several times. That it is possible to take a concept as long as you believe in it and you're passionate about it, or it's, I think it's something that will that'll be the the fuel in your engine. And it it's it is possible because we're living proof to to learn and take something on, uh, at a time in life that, you know, you might not necessarily think to do it. And we're, you know, as I say, we, we hope we do well. Well, here's the thing. The other thing our, our business friends said, were just create 200 boxes, 200 kits And do a launch in summer and then see if by Christmas you've sold the 200. And then in January, take a deep breath and figure out if you want to go forward with it. So that was fine. Of course, we were late because we'd been on the road for seven months in Europe doing a play. And so late, late, late. We didn't launch until September, like the 20th or something like that is September, thinking, oh, gosh, are we going to sell the 200 by Christmas They were sold out in less than 24 hours. Oh, my goodness. Yay. Yeah. Oh, no. Yeah. Then what? You know, I mean, we had to, so we had 1,800, maybe 1,500 pounds of flour, 800 pounds of sugar, 3,200 kitchen implements delivered. The Food stuff has to go to the kitchen because you have to do all the food stuff at, at a commercial grade kitchen. We had to get licensed, become licensed food handlers. We did that. Then you schlep, you know, everything comes back to the house. We have no house anymore. Yeah. <laughs> it's in a warehouse. We only, yeah, there's garage. <laughs> the Cars aren't in the garage. It's just floor to ceiling boxes. So we, it's an assembly line and every once in a while we'll have an assembly party. So do you think
0: you want to continue doing acting or do you want to be more selective and like, I'll do it when I feel like there's a role that calls my name to it?
2: Well, first of all, I, you know, the, the business, I mean, at this stage I'm 67 and so it, it just changes it, you know, the amount of time that people call. So basically if anybody calls and offers me a job, I I say yes, even if I haven't read the script, it's just fun to do. It's, it's one of the It's the best community I know of people in in the business. Um, It's too hard to stay in it if you don't love it. And uh, I've, I mean, I've worked a long time and I've had two funny apples, not even bad apples, just, I don't know, just awkward, you know, funny. I've never had a Me Too moment ever, ever, ever ever. I mean, I was, I, I flirted, other people flirted with me, but there was never, not a moment did I ever get, if you do this, you'll do, get that. It's never. Good. So I, I, which is not to say that it doesn't exist, didn't happen, mm-hmm. but, or maybe I was just too stupid and someone offered, it was like, eh, what, I just didn't even, it just didn't track, it never, you know. So I have to have, you know, nothing but gratitude for, it. and the thing is, you know, th- there's, there's such diversity of everything. Anytime you're on a set, of backgrounds, education, ages, places in your life, ways that you came to be there, and you are the the. It's a level playing field. You are all in it together, whether they're eight years old or you know a hundred years old. Doesn't matter. Um, all different sexuality and stuff, and and that kind of diversity in a contained. Place, be it in a film set or in a rehearsal room or in a company of actors. It just, it's a great Petri dish for creativity because the more diverse, the the better as far as I'm concerned, because you, it opens your spirit and your mind, your heart to the ideas that there's always another way. There's always another point of view. There's always another angle to perceive. There's always someone else's shoes to walk in. So it, I find the whole acting experience and singing too endlessly fascinating. So I there's no thought for, and I I know Patrick feels the same way. There's no thought on either one of our parts to to um, to retire. We just hope that the phone keeps ringing occasionally. <laughs>
1: I think it
0: will. Yeah. <laughs> so, one, yeah. Uh, one other question we would be remiss not to ask is your me- uh, your menopause journey. How was it? Oh, yes.
2: <laughs> so there's a book every woman has to read uh, between the ages of 40 and 140 called The Upgrade Oh,
1: yes yeah. we had yes. her on the show we had her
2: on the show yes yes oh my gosh she's amazing she as, right. as she seems she I is she's wonderful, wonderful. Luann Yes. yeah oh, I just got chills that Fantastic. book was such a sanity check and I only wish that I that she'd written it for me to read during my 40s and 50s because as I was reading her book it was like oh I'm not crazy that's what was going on and and speaking about being at this stage in life and the empowerment that you feel, it it's profound. I mean, and I like to, you know, she gives purchase to the fact that you lose what you lose, things fall apart, things drop. It's not nice, but but the trade off is is extraordinary in many ways. I mean, it's it it, it it feels like the richest time of life, maybe because you're in it but also have an objective view sort of simultaneously. And so, and I tell you, I was in New York recently where, you know, there's so many vibrant men and women. uh, Certainly as compared to L.A., you just see it more. I mean, people walk, people are out in the streets in New York, you see it. But vibrant people in their 70s, in their 80s, in their 90s, you know, they're out, they're walking, they're working, they have an agenda, they're part of the game, they're contributing, they're sought after and it became having read the book just recently it became a boy living proof of that and for myself I looked at women my age and older and older in a very different lens because I it sort of peeled off a veil that I didn't even know I had of a a real prejudice you know about Mm -hmm. about age and aging of which we're all if we're lucky I guess we're you know, participants mm-hmm. in that, in that journey. It's the journey. Hmm. It was gradual, but I, early days I had, I was rehearsing to play Amanda in Glass Menagerie and beautiful Tennessee Williams play. And it's a huge role, which I didn't really realize. she prattles on she just she sort of like me she just blah blah, blah she just talks and talks and talks. Well, oh, this is all long speeches that you had to memorize and I had a sense going in about how long it would take me. boy, I'd have it at night, wake up in the morning. nope one or two sentences it just wasn't sticking in my brain and that was scary, you know because that's what I do. So um that was kind of a kind of a trip. And that was counteracted with um more exercise, just a lot more, a lot of aerobic, and and then some, you know, bioidentical stuff, which really helped me and it was interesting to read and upgrade about that and how she's a proponent of that too. Mm-hmm. And now that the science is more complete on that. You're safe to take it, which is also good to know. I mean, they thought we were safe to take it, but we actually are. So, if it's right for someone, I would highly recommend it. (laughs) Yes, absolutely. I do that as well. You know, one of the reasons why I really um, her, her book meant so much to me is that i I had two. It's funny; I've never talked about this, but anyway, two horrendous depressions. You know, and I think it was. There were stressful times in life, but it was also, my chemistry was changing. And I didn't, I just assumed it was, it was me and the circumstances and what it would have been so helpful to just be reassured that this was the body doing what it needed to do at that point. And it just, it would have eased that, eased that path. Also, I'd never been into that kind of hellhole of, you know, black, black, deep, dark hole of depression before. And to absolutely know that it's a season and that it passes, which just seems impossible when you're in there. It's just, there's no way out. There's no way forward. It's never going to get better. There's, it's just impossible to conceive. But of course it does because that's what life does. You know, the river keeps moving, the tree comes back, whatever it is. So uh, so it's a temporary passage. It's a it's a necessary one, and the the end result is is pretty spectacular.
1: Thank you so much for coming on the thank show. You. Hey, yeah, agree. Thank, thank you. Yeah, thank
2: you. Thanks so much. It's, okay, so go to Duffy's Dough.com. Okay, we'll have it all in the show notes. And then, because now I know it is a show and business, please follow me on wherever you're supposed Instagram and all we'll the have yeah, that. Much.
0: Best of luck to you. Thank yeah. you. Thanks. Thanks. Thank you so much, Linda Pearl, for being a wonderful guest. We had such a fun time talking to you. And guys, remember, all of this is in the show notes. So you can go to hotflashescooltopics.com and check out the show notes. We also are on all forms of social media. And you can find we did a Valentine's Day guide with some great gift ideas. It's on our Instagram. It's on our website. So make sure to check that out because you're running out of time for Valentine's yes. Day. And you should
1: get what you want, not what they want, what you want. (laughs) (laughs) And make it clear. You could just show them the the little bitty flip book, the catalog for that. Right, exactly. Yes. So you can check
0: that out as well. We hope you guys have a wonderful week. And we will talk to you next time.
1: Bye.